0: So I want you to turn with me to 1 Samuel 22. 1 Samuel 22. We've been in this series uh, called What to Do When It Does. <clears throat> Life happens, and sometimes I mean, when it does, we don't know what to do. Everything's going great. Nothing, I mean, it couldn't get any better. And then all of a sudden, the bottom seems to fall out. What do you do when it does? Some of you are in it right now. Some of you are shouting victory. Said, I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, give it time. What to do when it does. And today I want to cover something that happened in this season of David's life while he's on the run. He's on the run. He's a military, he's been a military war hero. He's killed Goliath. Even while he's on the run, he's defeating Philistine enemies. Uh, He's a songwriter. He's good looking. He's got all the things going for him. Bottom falls out. But now he's encountering something And this is where a lot of people drop off off serving God. They love it when the lights are going. They love it when the music's great. They love it when you have air conditioning in the building. And the sermon is less than 30 minutes. But what do you do when you're suffering? And you paid your tithe. And you attended church and you still have the artwork from when you were in Sunday school, when you were seven years old, because you were faithful in church, and you're innocent. What do you do when suffering hits? What do you do when the bottom falls out and you're trying to explain God to an unbelieving world out there that says, if he's a loving God, then why this? And so here's David trying to do everything right. Doing every, trying to do everything right, but he's making wrong moves and he's making right moves because when it does happen, how many know what you do and the choices you make are extremely important because we've been talking about if you If you just got in on this series, you need to find out what he did wrong and what he's doing right. And we're going to talk about this, what he does wrong, what he does right. But when you've done right and things turn wrong <laughs> is when a lot of people drop God. So we're going to talk about he's done things wrong and he's done things right, and why do innocent people have to suffer because of this. So David's on the run. You know the story. And we had part of the story. Remember, he's on the run, and he goes to this place called Nob, and there is this priest called Ahimelech. And you remember, that was the wrong move he made because he lied. Remember, we talked about don't fabricate during your crisis. Some people fabricate when they're in a spiritual crisis. They make up things to escape. Don't lie. Don't lie. Sometimes you, you don't have a consequence for lying because we went back and we saw where he lied, but there was no consequence. Let me tell you, if you've li- you're, you're lying about something, and there's no consequences, you dodged a bullet. It's just the grace of God. But in this situation we're going to talk about, he lied and some people who were innocent suffered. So let's go to the story. He's on the run, and you remember? he notices that there's this guy there that is connected to King Saul who wants to kill him. He's got a, hit, got a contract out on him. And let's start at 1 Samuel 22, 9, okay? So I'm gonna read several verses, so just kind of hang with me. Those of you who don't have a Bible with you, uh, just look on the screens. Here's what it says. Then Doeg the Edomite, who was standing there with Saul's men, spoke up. When I was at Nob, he said, I saw the son of Jesse talking to the priest Ahimelech, son of Ahitub. Ahimelech consulted the Lord for him. Then he gave him food and the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. King Saul immediately sent for Ahimelech and all his family who served as priests at Nob. When they arrived, Saul shouted at him, "Listen to me, you son of a high tub! What is it, my king?" Ahimelech asked. "Why have you and the son of Jesse conspired against me?" Saul demanded. Why did you give him food and a sword? Why have you consulted God for him? Why have you encouraged him to kill me as he's trying to do this very day? But Surahimelech replied, Is anyone among all your servants as faithful as David, your son-in-law? Why, he's the captain of your bodyguard. He's making a point here. He was in charge of the CIA and the Secret Service. If he wanted you knocked off, all he had to do was just step out of the way. There were plenty of opportunities for him to do it. He's the captain of your bodyguard and a highly honored member of your household. This was certainly not the first time I'd consulted God for him. May the king not accuse me and my family in this matter, for I knew nothing at all of any plot against you. As you will surely die, Ahimelech, along with Your entire family, the king shouted. And he ordered his bodyguards, kill these priests of the Lord, for they are allies and conspirators with David. They knew he was running away from me, but they didn't tell me. But Saul's men refused to kill the Lord's priests. Then the king said to Doeg, you do it. So Doeg the Edomite turned on them and killed them that day. Eighty-five pastors, priests, <laughs> 85 priests in all, still wearing their priestly garments. Then he went to Nob, the town of the priest, and killed the priest's family, men, women, children, babies, Can't even defend themselves. And all the cattle, donkey, sheep, and goats. What do you do when it does? I mean, this guy's innocent. There are times in life that terrible things happen that we did not bring on ourselves. We didn't do it. We're not even responsible. There are times this happened. I mean, you want to talk about the innocent suffering, these people were innocent. Innocent. I mean, you talk about a guy with conviction, a guy with courage, and those 85 priests, you talk about courageous people. And he looks at the king, he says, King, you know, you know that this is not true. You know that David's not out to kill you, and you know I'm not out to kill you, and you know that that's true. You even know it. You're believing your own lie, but you know you're lying. He stands up to him, conviction, and yet admits his innocence. Think about that. But Saul refused to believe, and 85 priests and their families and even their children and their babies were all wiped out that day. A a miniature holocaust occurred that day by King Saul. And when innocent people who did nothing are caught in the aftermath of someone's insanity and demonic possession, you sit back there and go, why do the innocent have to suffer when they did nothing wrong? Why? Why? A lot of you got that why in your your mind, don't you? You got that why. Some of you are in it right now. Pastor Brenda and I, we've had our why's without a doubt. Without a doubt. People said, I heard one preacher say, you shouldn't ask why. (laughs) I'm going to say, you're going to tell me to do something Jesus didn't do? Even Jesus said, ask Why? And he was his son. He was God with skin on. And on the cross, he says, why have you forsaken me? The first time you're going to, I've been with you all this time. And for this, I'm not going to be because I'm carrying the sins of the world. He carried your sin and God could not look upon sin. And for the first time, he was disconnected from life, God itself. All right, all right. Think about that for you. Remember, he did that for you and he did that for me. Yes. And he said, why? I've done the most innocent one of all on the planet Earth with absolutely no sin. And he asked why. So how many know when you ask why, first of all, you're not going to hell to ask why? Because I know there's some people, you should never ask why. I'm sorry, I ask why. He gave me a brain, I'm going to ask why. And when it happens, so many people drop out from following God. That's the worst thing you could ever do. The worst thing you could ever do. So, because friends, how many know that just because you are saved, born again, filled with the Spirit, love God, love love your neighbors, love your country, love all this, God bless America. You're just you're a great person, but how many know you are not exempt from suffering, even though you're born again and speak in tongues? You are not exempt from it. You are not. No more than you are exempt from the law of gravity. You're not exempt from it. And some how many know, but how many know many times God has delivered us? How many have ever had God deliver you out of something? Now, that would be good to just raise a hand on, but I've I've witnessed it time and time again. And I think if he's delivered you, you ought to give him the greatest praise. If you've ever seen him do something for you. Amen. If he's ever delivered you, ever provided for you, ever healed you ever did anything to sustain your life, you ought to praise Him for it and glorify Him for it. Thank Him for it. Hell tried to take you out and you're still here. You're still standing. You're still present. If you've witnessed it, give Him that praise, amen. He's been good to you. He's been good to me. Absolutely. Many times he has delivered us even when the spirit of stupid was on me. He's delivered me. (laughs) Yeah, many times. But sometimes his deliverance doesn't come the way you want. And David is in the middle of this one. He's got a lot of explaining to do because the only person that survived was the son of Ahimelech, Now you go talk to the family because you're the one that made the whole story up. I'm on a special mission from Saul. He doesn't know, you know, I'm on him. That's why there's nobody with me. I don't have sword. I don't have no food. Help my brother, help a brother out. And now this guy's caught in the aftermath and he's innocent. So there are lessons to learn when it does happen. So if I could just point two things to you, just real quick, just two things, two things that I want to show you that I see in King David's life. The first thing that always happens is admit your failure and affirm your faith. You know, sometimes things happen that are sometimes circumstances beyond our control. Sometimes things happen because of other people's decision. It wasn't your fault at all. But sometimes things do happen because I've made a poor decision. And that's the time when a lot of people don't ever want to admit their failure. But we find something in the heart of David. Because now Abiathar, Ahimelech's son, is now with David. And look at David's comment in 1 Samuel 22 and verse 22, starting there. And I want you to look at this. Look what he does. David begins to own his part in this whole deal. David exclaimed, I knew it. When I saw Doeg the Edomite there that day, I knew he was sure to tell Saul. He knew it was going to happen. Watch this. Now I have caused the death of all your father's family. I have caused it. The first thing out of his mouth was he admits there was my part. He knows that Do, he knows Doeg and Saul are the ones that are going to stand in judgment before God. But David owns it. I lied, and I knew he was there. He admits something, and this is the biggest part that people don't 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 realize. Not only was Saul responsible and Doeg, but I'm going to own that I'm responsible as well in this, and he admits his fault in all of this, and I love that. But he doesn't stay there. Watch this. Look at verse 23. He looks at Abiathar and then he says, stay here with me. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. How many of you would take advice on raising your family when someone doesn't even know how to take care of their own family? How many of you want to take advice How many would take advice from someone who can tell you how to repair your car when their own car is a piece of junk and they can't keep it going? My point is, I never want to go to the unknowing for knowledge. And my point here is, is this guy's been on the run. This guy has said, I'm one step away from death. I don't think I'm going to make it. And you're going to tell me that you're going to protect me when you yourself are scared? What is David doing here? Watch this. I will protect you with my own life for the same person wants to kill us both. What David is doing is, is David, first of all, is owning his responsibility. But then at the same time, he starts exercising faith and he affirms it and he declares his faith. And he says, listen, don't you be afraid, Abiathar. Here's what I know. I know the spirit of fear. I know how it can chase you down. I know they're hunting me down and they want to kill me. But he said, here's what I know. I'm still here. And the reason I'm here is because God is with me and God is the one that protect me, Abiathar. And as long as you're with the guy that God is protecting, I can tell you that as long as you stick with me, Abiathar, the same God that is delivering me and has been keeping me is the same God that is going to keep you. So hang with the guy that is God with God and God is with him and you're going to be fine. Amen. I love this. I love this. And David admits it, but you say, Pastor, what's your point? The point is, is that He could say, this is partly my fault. They would have never died and starts playing all these scenarios out. He could have kept on doing this. And so then he could have said, well, there's no use with my life. There's there's no use. This has gone too far. And I'm the one that did this. I can't go on with life. And that's exactly what so many people do. They cannot move on with their lives because of events that have occurred, or they can't move on with their life because of their own past decisions and failures and sin and they can't move on. David is discovering something here, I know this, but he could live in that, he could have curled up in a fetal position, stayed on the bed of self-pity the rest of his life, and never moved forward, never become king, but he chooses to say, I own it, but I do not have to stay here the rest of my life, there is more for my life to come. So my point is this, is don't allow your failure to determine your future. You could sit there and lay it all out, but get around people like David that I'm going through this struggle myself, but I'm telling you, if God is with me and God is protect me, God will protect you and God will help you. If he helped me get restored, he'll help you get restored. That's the reason why I tell folks here, don't, don't hide when you need help. That's the reason why we have things like Celebrate Recovery because there's got to be a place for people going through hurts and hang ups and habits and stuff they they feel embarrassed about there's got to be a place that's safe that's why we have that's why we celebrate recovery every tuesday just go join it just pull up and come well i don't think i'm safe then why don't you ever call a pastor why are you hiding why don't you call one of our pastors have a conversation call one of my elders have a conversation Because there are people that will walk the journey with you practically and spiritually. They will help you. Why? Because do you think we're all this pristine people that have never had a problem in our life, never had a sin issue in our life? Come on. If God can deliver and restore us and make us great men and women of God, the same God that took us through the process is the same God that can take you through the process, and the same God that is with us is the same God that can be with you. If you'll admit your failure and say, I'm going to start declaring my faith. I mean, this come on, September, we're starting our small groups. Going to be an incredible group that you can be a part of. But he admits his failure. And let me tell you something, King David, you remember last week when the Holy Spirit was just moving in this place in a different, unusual way, and we start talking about David? I mean, I think this is why God always used him all the time. I'm serious. I think this is why God used him. You talk about one dysfunctional, messed up dude. Seriously. I mean, this wouldn't be his only failure. He's going to have a, you're, you're, you read the scripture, you see the rest of his failures. I mean, come on, he's committing adultery, he commits murder. I mean, just think of that. He, and, and everybody think he, he just, they just think Uriah was the one that got killed. Uriah, read the story. It wasn't just Uriah that got killed. All the guys that were through Uriah that he set him up to get killed. All those guys got killed. He just killed one guy. He killed got a bunch of people killed. Think about this. He's made so many bad decisions. His own family dislikes him. Oh my goodness. Look, look at this. When you start feeling bad, start reading the Bible about some of these men and women. God's trying to tell you something. This is not, this is not, he's not trying to tell you, hey, you go ahead and sin. You go sleep around what you want to do. Do what you want to do because God forgives. No, he's not talking about that kind of arrogance against his grace. That's no way what he's trying to tell you. What he is trying to tell you is that we give up on ourselves, but God doesn't. That's what he's trying to tell you. He's trying to tell you you're throwing your towel in way too soon, and the enemy's got you in condemnation thinking that there's no way you could ever get out. You want to talk about a guy that's messed up? My goodness. And I was talking to President Trent from the Bible College the other day. We were talking about that last Sunday, and it's about how dysfunctional here. King David was, and compared him to Saul, you'd think this dude is a worse sinner than this guy. And even in his prayer of repentance, when he got busted for, for murdering Uriah and all these other people, and, he, and, and he's sleeping with Bathsheba, he, his prayer is, and Lord, against you and you alone have I sinned. Right. Yeah, right. Right. You have messed up a lot of families here. It wasn't just, it wasn't just, it wasn't just God alone. There's a lot of people you tripped up over here. And yet God uses this guy over and over again. You know what I really believe it was? There's something in David's heart. That when God pointed it out, he admitted his failure and said, God, please don't take your spirit from me. Instead of a, like a lot of people that can hide behind their shouts and their worship and a Bible tucked under their arm and got their little ichthus stamped on the back of the trunk of their car, God says you can't hide under that. Would you take it and admit your failure, but affirm you have a God that is with you, that will grow you, mature you, and make you something better than you could ever dreamed and take you to where you never dreamed you could go. So admit your failure, admit your faith. He admits his failure, but he affirms his faith that God is with me and I'm leaning into God. And can I tell you what, he's always repenting. And everybody thinks faith is just believing for miracles and provision, but can I tell you, faith is expressed in your repentance. To say I am wrong, so I lean into the one who has the only power to erase my wrong and put me on the right path. That's the reason why I love 1 John 1, 9, but if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful, come on, and he is just to forgive us all of our sins and to cleanse us from every bit of wickedness. How many of you thank God? He's a God that restores you if you admit, but you affirm your faith. That's one thing he did. So what to do when it does? First, take God, speak to me in all of this. And that's why God seems to use God. He's always turning back toward God. Always. Always. Here's the second thing I want you to see in this. In this, I believe the Holy Spirit would say and show it through David, while you're going through suffering, become better and not bitter. Now, I want to show you the two guys that this is the the main characters. You got King Saul over here that's trying to kill him. You got David's trying to flee for his life. And David's made wrong mistakes, but he's always turning back to God. And in this whole process, one thing that's very evident in these two guys' life is David is becoming better, and he's the one being attacked. He's the one that's got a contract out on him. David's becoming better, but Saul is becoming bitter. Bitter and it's getting worse. As you look at this process, even through David, through his whole life, what you find is David is becoming more of a man after God's own heart. I mean, look at this. If this was happening to you or me, if this was happening to you or me, I'm gonna tell you something. I don't think I could give any honor to a person who would be doing that to me. But in this process, David, watch how many times, just read the story, how many times he gives honor to Saul. Even when others had an opportunity to say, this is God showing showing you. You're set up right now. You can kill him right now. This is God. This is your moment. God set this up. David says, no, we're not going to touch God's anointing. This is God's person here. We're going to let God deal with him. He's honoring Saul. He's forgiving Saul. He's pinned him to a wall with a spear and he's forgiving Saul. We find him weeping and he's crying. He's by himself and then he's got these others weeping with him. He's going through all these troubles and guess what he's doing? He's still worshiping and pressing into God's presence in the midst of all this suffering he's personally going through. This is the problem. Some people, while fighting their enemies, start becoming just like their enemies. Their mouths get just like him. They behave just like him. Believers, you do not get like your enemies when you're fighting your enemies. God is doing something in you that the world can see the stark difference of the child of God who follows Jesus Christ. David, guess what? He doesn't just stay the same, he's getting better. Saul's getting worse, Saul's getting worse, David's getting better, he's, and Saul's getting bitter. God, Saul's bitter because, oh no, God's removing this from me because of my rebellion. He's getting mad. Now he's mad at David. He gets so ticked off. He's so bitter. He starts getting suspicious of his own family. Think about this for a moment. And he goes from rebellion to bitterness. He goes from bitterness to murdering people. He's tormented by, by evil spirits. He's tormented by spirits. Now he's gotten so worse. He's going to a, the witch of Endor wanting to summon Saul from the, Samuel from the dead. Now the guy's in necromancy talking to the dead. You see, he's getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And now he's suspicious. He's in paranoia. I mean, he's in absolute paranoia. Ahimelech's going, we had nothing to do with this. I promise you. I mean, he told me he was on assignment. I've done this before for him. Why would it be any different now? I don't, I don't get it. You know what? When you get so bitter... He remains offended at God and offended everybody. And when you're offended, you start hearing things that aren't even being said about you. And the reason believe him is because Satan is a ventriloquist. So he starts putting in your mind stuff that even your enemies are not thinking about you. That's how worse he gets. And he gets worse worse and worse and worse and worse and becomes bitter. And now he's getting bitter at God. Saul's getting worse. David is saying, God, show me. What are you trying to say to me, God? And he keeps getting better and better and better. When bitterness rules your heart, because we all, how many have ever been bitter before? The rest of you just sweet, just love Jesus, love everybody, sweet. How many have ever been bitter before? I have been bitter. In times, bitter at God. But when bitterness starts to rule your life, here's what happens. We start rejecting the justice of God, the judgment of God, and even his goodness for us. When you start getting bitter, and it starts reflecting, you start getting bitter at everybody. You start suspicion. Everybody's talking about you. Everybody's doing this. When no one said a word, this is what's happened to Saul. David, on the other hand, is getting better. He's getting more, a man after God's own heart. He, Saul's going further away from God's heart, and guess what's happening? now? Bitterness is ruling, and now he even rejects God's justice and God's judgment, and he's going to do his own thing. Because really, I mean, let's talk about this for a moment. Couldn't God done this different? I mean, come on, honestly, why did 85 preachers, why did 85 priests have to be executed brutally, and then they kill their spouses, they kill their children, they kill the men, the women, they go after their kids, and then they take infants who can't even defend themselves, and they slaughter them. Come on, God, where are you? Come on, let's have an honest talk here for a moment. Where is God? I mean, couldn't God have done something in order to avoid a innocent Ahimelech from suffering? And all these other people didn't even know that even probably he and David had the conversation. It couldn't, come on, couldn't have God just made it where David had no contact with Ahimelech, just said, just, just don't even go there? Why didn't he put, come on, why didn't God put Doeg in a different town instead of Nob? And if he's going to be a knob, why he couldn't have been on the other block where he didn't even see David? I mean, why didn't God just go ahead and send an angel and step between, all of a sudden, step between the innocent and, and Doeg and said, nope, done, I'm going to strike you down. He's done it before. Why didn't do it now? I mean, come on, anybody else got the question? Why did he just override Saul's will? This is where a lot of people drop off. This is where a lot of Jesus followers stop. When suffering happens, because we also know he's a God that delivers. Could you imagine, let me just ask you, God overrode Saul's will. Could you imagine a world where God always protected the innocent from bad consequences, from their own decisions, or even other people's decisions that they could not control? I want you to imagine that kind of a world, where God always protected the innocent from the bad consequences of their own decisions. If you say, yeah, that's what I want, then what you are in the human spirit would be totally different. Because how many are glad that God created us in his own image? And one of those attributes that we have of God is the ability to make a choice and decide. My dog didn't have any choices this morning. The trees had no choices this morning. The sun had no choices this morning. Are you listening to this? Because being part of being human and being created in the image of God and being human also means that God made you free. How many thank God for freedom? Okay, thank God for freedom. Part of being human and part of being free is that we have a free will of choice to choose. But with the freedom of the choice, watch this. You cannot escape the application of the consequences of those choices, whether they be good or bad choices, because he created you with that. See, people, people are quick to judge God, but if, but if we had no freedom to choose, that means then we have no consequences we got to worry about. If we had no freedom to choose and not created human and free, so guess what we would be? We would be reduced just like the tree and the rocks. We would merely be robots and puppets exercising no freedom. Are you following me? But in order to let us be free and human, God lets us be free to choose right and wrong. And with those right and wrong choices also come consequences. Just ask Adam and Eve. So I know you're thinking, well, I just don't understand. Well, let me tell you, you would rather allow freedom and risk bad consequences than to deny people freedom and you yourself have the freedom to choose. You'd rather risk it. But we want to judge God quickly when things don't turn out our way. Don't be so quick. Hey, have y'all ever looked at the back of the tithing envelopes? Lately. Have you ever looked at one? Go grab one real quick. Just pull it out real quick. Just grab the back of it. Look at this incredible prayer back here in the back. As I bring my tithing offering today, I'm believing God for benefits, settlements, jobs, better jobs, raises, bonuses, resurrected stocks, sales commissions, estates, inheritance, interest and income. That all sounds good, doesn't it? Rebates, returns, checks in the mail, gifts, surprises, found money, bills paid off. Come on, Jesus. Debts canceled. Come on, Jesus. Royalties received, you ready for this? Multiplication, new businesses. Oh, here's one, clever inventions. How many would just love to have a clever invention that would just bless you, your family? How many would love to have a clever invention? I would too. I would love to have a clever invention so I could just bail out all those folks who aren't helping us. So we can do what we're supposed to do. I'd love to have that. Let's say God gave you one. Let's say God gave you a clever invention, just boom. And you discovered that with this clever invention, you had a magnificent machine that's going to change everybody's life in the civilized world. In fact, I mean, it's going to change their life that if they can purchase it and they could learn how to use your magnificent machine, uh, their, their income is going to change and they can put their kids through college to get an education. They can be in a nice neighborhood. Wouldn't you love that? Everybody gets fed. Wouldn't it be great they got plenty of money to give away? And you come up with that, it changes their economy, everything's convenient. Boy, all of a sudden, but as you're getting ready to patent this thing and it's going to be manufactured, you discover something right before it gets ready to be manufactured and you've got the patent approved. You discover that it's going to be at the sacrifice of 1.3 million human lives have to be sacrificed every year for your magnificent machine to improve everybody's life in the civilized world. Now, it's on you. You want it? You want to be blessed? You want to bless everybody? Give convenience? But with it, 1.3 million human lives have to be sacrificed every year for your wonderful, clever invention that you prayed for when you put your tithe and offering in. What would you say, 1.3 million lives? You go, no way. No way. I'll be responsible for 1.3 million human lives? No way. But you already made the choice when you started your car this morning. Because that's how many people die by automobile casualties and wrecks. 1.35 million every year because of the magnificent, marvelous machine that improves people life called the automobile. So before you're quick to judge God that he didn't do right by you, You already made the decision for 1.3 million lives when you took your kid to the soccer game this weekend. When DoorDash delivered your hot meal to you because you didn't want to get out and drive, you already made the decision. See we are in no position to set judgment on God and lecture him about justice. You're dismissed. God bless you. Go listen to a motivational podcast and get blessed. Amen. Because I know that just a l- No, but see, are you seeing what I'm saying? We are so quick here on earth to tell the one that rules the earth how he ought to do things. If God suspended our freedom or even suspended Egg's freedom of choice so that people have never have to deal with the consequence. Let's say that. Then let me tell you what else will be lost. A lot of other great human qualities are gone as well. Guess what else is gone? Courage is gone because someone can't make a choice to be brave in the midst of intimidation or tyranny. Someone can't have faith to choose to follow God and to see their life change. Guess what else is lost? Love is gone because love is not a robot or a puppet. You don't even you broke up with the last guy because that's what he wanted to do to you. Do what I say. You broke up with that dude. You didn't even want that. But now the quality of love is gone. To love God or not love God. Another quality is lost the ability to forgive people who have done you wrong and still have honor for Saul and say, don't, don't harm the king. He's the anointed one. I'm going to tell you, I'm sorry, but if that would be, I said, he's a dirtbag. He's demon possessed. He's a whack job. Knock him off. He's getting people killed because I'm going to do my justice instead of God's justice. You can't exercise compassion. You couldn't have cared for those families with 20,000 diapers. They're trying to raise kids and learn how to raise family. That's what Alpha does. It teaches them how to to be healthy, growing families, to be Christ-centered, helping families. You couldn't have put shoes on those kids' feet can't go to a university campus and show compassion with a tangible item, a practical way to introduce yourself and try to build a relationship to bring them to Jesus Christ. You can't do that. Because if you're going to take that away, that choice, then you take all these other human qualities are gone with it. Can you imagine a world like that? How many you still with me? God made us with freedom and freedom means we experience the good and the bad consequences of our own decisions and other people's decisions starting with Adam and Eve however as uniquely as God made us to choose right and wrong in the consequences he never leaves us he never leaves us alone to walk those journeys he helps us and gives us direction. And that's why you can have two outcomes. Saul, who was anointed by God, go totally off the deep end and become bitter and reject God. And David goes the other direction with the fire of suffering put on him and other people of his own bad decisions. I made a bad decision. And yet he becomes better and steeps on becoming a man after God's own heart. Why? Why? because you find him always centering back on I wanna do what is right in the eyes of God, even with my dumb mistakes and the suffering that I do not understand. So that's where you get Psalm 57, one of those deep prayers from him. While he's on the run, this is what he says. This is why he's getting better. He's not admitting, he's not, he's not putting away his emotions, and he's not putting away that, that I don't actually feel these things but he always centers back to that one thing, and I think this is why God always used him. Look what he says in Psalm 57. He says, I'm surrounded by fierce lions who greedily devour human prey, whose teeth pierce like spears and arrows, whose tongues cut like swords. He admits it. But then look what he says, be exalted, O God, above the highest heaven. May your glory shine over all the earth. He goes back, my enemies, have set a trap for me, I'm weary, I'm weary, I'm just worn out, I'm in distress. They have dug a deep pit in my path, but they themselves have fallen into it. My heart is confident in you, O oh God. My heart is confident, no wonder I can sing your praise. He's in pain, but he's still praising. He's suffering, but he's still singing. He goes through worries, but he keeps on worshiping, why? He keeps centering back on God, and he becomes better and not bitter. You know what I think David knows? I think David knows is that God will make all things right and I have to trust that in the end. He knows it. In fact, when you get to Psalm 52, that's written about Doeg. Doeg, Doeg gets killed, Doeg, Doeg has been killed. And look what it says in Psalm 52:5. he writes about Doeg, surely God will bring you down to everlasting ruin. But look what he says about himself, David, verse eight in Psalm 52. But I am like an olive tree, flourishing in the house of God. I trust in God's unfailing love forever and ever. He says, I'm telling you, this isn't going away. I'm gonna trust him, I've been through the bad and I won't turn loose to him. I've been on the mountaintop and I won't turn loose from him. I'm gonna walk with God. And there's just sometimes, folks, there are sometimes we have to wait till eternity for things to be righted. that's what I trust him for, that he's right. And Sam Reichel is no position to judge him about his justice because he's good. He's good. Tell me, thank God he's going to take you through the suffering. I'm going to get better, not bitter. I'm going to admit, but I'm going to affirm my faith.